Welcome to the Social Entrepreneur Podcast. Get engaged, get influenced, get connected. Welcome to the Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I am your host, Joseph Valente, and I'm here to lift the lid on how to be super duper successful in the social entrepreneur world. We will bring you the biggest, best entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities from around the world. Get engaged, get influenced, get connected. So today, we have someone very, very special. His name is Mr. James Exton, and he is co-founder of LDM Muscle, London Muscle. He is a fitness legend, a serial entrepreneur, a pioneer, and an all-round very good-looking geezer. So welcome, James. Welcome to the show. Afternoon. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very, very well. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, It's very, very exciting for me to have you here. Um, I've been following your journey for a while now through London Muscle, and I think you're going to give some great insights, experience, and knowledge to our audience. So to start off, what I want to do is put you on the spot and tell our audience who is Mr. James Exton. Give us a 30-second elevator pitch. Hi, I'm James Exton. I am 31 years of age. I am co-founder of LDM Muscle Limited, which is an online fitness hub. I started my career in law. I qualified as a barrister, um, went to Nottingham University and then bar schooled up there, starting in a law firm in the city and quickly transgressed into a digital fitness business um, for a number of reasons, not least to pursue more money. Amazing. Like it, like it, like it. So, James, let me take you back to the beginning. I think with every entrepreneur, um, they have a story or they have a reason that they started. So, can we go all the way back to your childhood? Have you always been into fitness? Have you always been ripped? Were you a fat kid that wanted to get fit? Um, You know, was there some motivation behind doing what you wanted to do? Good, good question. Well, um, I've always been quite active, but not necessarily like a gym bunny, if you like. Um, And at university, the time kind of came where I thought that, I'm not going to lie, vanity was a key thing. We're young guys, we're at university, we're looking at women or men, if that's your fancy. And I wanted to get in shape. So it was a hobby then. And I was studying law, so I couldn't really commit to sports in a way that I didn't have as many hours as I could do to commit to a proper team. So the gym was kind of a perfect out. I could get my half an hour in a day alongside 17 hours a day revision when it came to exams. So that was kind of how it started. And not only was it a hobby and a vanity thing, it was a good way to channel a lot of my energy, stresses at university and study, etc. So that's how it all started. And the hobby soon became a business. And I know that sounds a bit cliche. So when I left university, um, I went to law school. So I was up in Nottingham for four years. And I continued the gym throughout all of that, throughout my studies. It just kept me sane. It was a good social. And I met some good, interesting people along the way. And then when I finished law school, um, I went into a firm in Oxford Street working in law. Uh, I specialise in crime, so it's not all glitz and glamour, not a hugely well-funded um, area. Uh, a lot of people think law is mu- equals money, but I can tell you that's not the case. And um, I set up a digital fitness business as a hobby with my twin brother, that's TG if anyone follows him online, and uh, another two guys, Max and Lloyd. And that was a hobby, it was an advice port. We didn't have our entrepreneur's hat on on that stage, there was more, lots of people know us, and lots of people asking the same question, let's help a load of people. So it started with a genuine Let's help people kind of attitude. So are you all in the same physique? Are you all um, super fit? We, we all, all had a passion the gym. And I guess if you're a non-gym goer, we probably we had bodies that people aspired to have, but they mm-hmm. weren't unrealistic. And because we were professionals in our own right, people understood that we were doing that in a normal time frame, not six hours yeah, a day. Yeah, yeah. So that's what appealed to people, the realistic kind of, 
I can do that if they can do it approachable. And I think that can be a quite a daunting thing for people, you know, when they're living a very, very busy lifestyle, which, you know, can we fit the gym, fitness, living healthy, prepping meals around the day to day, especially if they're traveling, commuting, um, you know, and they're always very busy. So it's, it's going to be interesting to hear how you manage to do that um, and what people can do. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm one of those big kind of like exponents, I guess, of the fact that actually it doesn't need to dominate your life. Uh, reality is I might spend half an hour a day in the gym. That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, commute by a bike. Well, I do that because A, it saves me money. And as entrepreneurs, we like to make money. So saving money is just as important as making money. And um, that keeps me fit and that, does, that keeps the weight off me as well. So it, it kills two birds with one stone and it means I don't have to find extra time outside of an already busy schedule. Cool. So let's get back on track with your story then. And so you founded it with your brother and two other guys. Yes, um, and what was the reason for founding the business? So did you see a gap in the market? Were you trying to solve a problem? Because this is usually where entrepreneurs start out. They, they see something. Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. So we were all in full-time jobs. And there came a point at which it wasn't viable for us to invest the time we, we had been doing for six months for no, like, for no remuneration is the word I'm looking for. So it wasn't viable. We couldn't sustain what we were doing without making a living from it. There was too much time going into it. And the other thing, like you said, did you see a gap in the market? We did. Four professionals that led, led busy lives preaching to other people that were in professional careers that needed to do what we were doing. We saw a niche, so genuine, independent, realistic advice. And we had a niche in that we were very adamant that we were natural. So therefore, that means that obviously within the ring that we are, some people take performance-enhancing drugs and some people don't. But we were, this is what you can genuinely look like with the schedule that we have, which is the same as tens of thousands, if not millions of people. Join us on our journey. If we can do it, you can do it too. And that was our niche um, at the beginning. It was quite novel having a set of twins and brothers as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, so when you started out, did you, because you said that you put six months into it, did you guys start out wanting to monetize it or were you oh, just putting oh. something out there and then you decided after a while, look, this is great. We're giving great advice, but it's taking so much of our time to stay motivated, to stay committed. We've got to make something from it. That's, that's exactly the, the latter of what you just said. That's exactly what it was. So at the beginning, we didn't we didn't think money hats on because we were all in jobs and we weren't looking for something that was the next opportunity. We were in kind of fixed careers. But as time went on, we went, well, actually, we've got a huge following of people. We're investing a lot of value into their lives. We can be, you know, we can make something out of this. And we all entrepreneurs in our own right in the sense that we always had aspirations to their own thing. So we thought, actually, if we can make plans that people with a normal working family and social life can work around, there's a value in that for people, concise, coherent information provided in an easy to digest manner. That's value add for people. And if we can create a community of other people in a similar situation and a device port that's easily accessible, then that's worth money to people and it saves them time. So, so after six months, we were like, yes, there's a business in this and yes, we need to do it because otherwise we're mad if we don't. And how long did it take you to transition from doing it for free to actually monetizing what you were doing? Um, well, within, after the first six months, probably about another four weeks, we, we got mobilized quite quickly. Mm -hmm. so the, the, the kind of digital products we produced didn't need um, years of R&D. We already had the information. We had the structure. We had what we needed. We were basically chopping up our lives into a, into a manual of what to do, how we do it, when we do it. So it was only imparting the knowledge and information that we had onto others in a way that they could reflect. And I think one thing that's important for people that are listening to this is to understand that those six months of free information, advice, trust building with people, building a community and a following, 
without that free period, even though it wasn't intended anyway, we didn't even think it through, but looking back on it, had we not done that, we wouldn't have got to where we are today. If yeah. we come in day one or day week one and decide buy our plans without establishing that place in the market, without getting people on board, without people thinking, actually, do you know what? These guys are giving me six months of advice for free. They're top notch. I've used their advice. I've seen it works. I don't mind dipping in my pocket and paying for something. I've, I've had my value. Like, and that is why we built very quickly from when we actually started releasing programs that cost money and did well at the beginning because of that backdrop to us. James, this is beautiful, beautiful stuff. I mean, for people listening and this podcast being called The Social Entrepreneur, it's about how to build businesses within the social world. But to say that you spent so much time giving information and value for free um, was the reason that you were able to then monetize it. It's such an important lesson for everybody because I think the expectation of social media is people want to put something out there and then if it doesn't work within two weeks or they're not getting paid or they're not getting a following from it, they get disheartened and they quit. But what you've basically said is you spent a lot of time giving out free information and building that brand. So, you know, everybody out there needs to realize that if they're bringing something niche into the market or something new or they're not heard of, that the best asset that they have at that time is to give their time for free. So other people respect that, you know, and a lot of people do that in employment roles. Or that's something that I always say. If you're struggling to get a job, go and work in the firm for free for a little while so they see you're committed they see you can add value and then ultimately that's going to make you stand out above the rest yeah without a doubt and, and it can be tactical as well so if we've got a product we can give someone two out of ten of the product that we know as a game plan is our first release product that's what we're going to do in six months time why not give them the first two elements of that because then i know that after six months my upsell of that product and say all right we started it but actually that's just, that's just the sort of beginning of it. This is the full package of what you've already started and know you like. They're already, they've already taken a bite on the hook without it knowing. The yeah. first bite was free and they're going to want to keep going for their progress, especially within fitness where, you know, it's progressive and they're not, not looking to go backwards, that's for sure. They're looking to continually improve. And yeah. that's what we did. So we kind of, say first six months was like, first three were bone idle and it was like advice, free advice. And then we were like, right, what are we going to actually offer people? Let's get them in, let's get them using that structure, let's get them using it as a habit within their life. And then when in three months time that product actually launches and they've already without knowing basically become involved in what we're about to offer them at a price point, they're in. Yeah. Of course they're in, because they've already embarked on the journey, they've started. Mate, this is awesome, awesome stuff. So social media, what was your biggest um, platform that helped you get your message out there? Did you start on Facebook? Did you start on Twitter? Did you hit all three? Um, was it all four of you doing it on your personal pages and then you decided to centralize it as well? How did that whole thing work? So the business launched on Twitter. Twitter was our main platform at the beginning, uh, back in the day when Twitter was slightly more... Um, what year? Uh, 2013. 2013. February 2013. So Twitter was our most powerful platform then. It was a good place. It was very interactive. It was very uh, reactionary. People were constantly engaging, answering. Uh, a bit different to Instagram in the sense that Instagram's kind of, you wouldn't post 50 things a day. You might in the stories, but you wouldn't have 50 posts a day. With Twitter, we could keep people basically minute by minute or hour by hour up off a non-stop round the clock um, advice. And, and that's kind of what we got a reputation for. It was four guys. We were personally answering it. We weren't outsourcing it. People getting an answer from one of the four of us, we'd put our initials with it. So when we answered the question, I put J-E after my reply. So they knew it was me that had replied to that. But if they preferred 
one of the other gents and they might ask for a reply from him. So it had a kind of a personal aspect. It wasn't a robot spitting out answers or we had to pay the company to answer stuff for us. And Twitter was the biggest. Now that's shifted. We're now looking at Instagram. So it actually sort of seems to have blown past Twitter now. So we're back on Instagram and the introductions of uh, Instagram stories and stuff has mobilized that quite a lot. So Instagram is now our biggest platform. But we, um, we, we took all, I think it's important to note that when you do go into that, take all the handles on all of them even if you're going to specialise in one of them, because the first thing a competitor do will pinch your, ha- pinch your handle so you can't have consistency across your platform. Yep. So nail them all, but obviously it's not got 15 underscores and then people can't find you. So mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're unified across all platforms. And then try and get, we tried to get a following at least in one of them big. So Twitter was big, and then we used Twitter to push over to other platforms, so cross-pollinate basically. So Amazing. How many followers do you have on, what's your biggest following? Uh, Instagram, we've got 230k, I think, now. So Twitter's uh, 130k, Facebook's somewhere between the two. So Instagram's the biggest now. Fantastic. So you've seen that shift and now you're moving. I think that's an important one to understand as well, is to yeah, know your platforms. When did you start to notice the shift in platforms? And did you notice it straight away? And were you prepared to move with it? Or did you... Put, dig your heels in a little bit because this is what we've always done type mentality well because we're kind of like a content-based um business and content marketing basically so we put out content that's a funnel so we bring people in through the content and we funnel them obviously to our platform which is our website so that's the sales funnel if you like so we notice obviously we can see from analytics where the biggest drive of traffic was coming so it's quite easy to work out when one's dipping and one's increasing so we saw a, a, a marked shift from the number of people that are using twitter to access their content as opposed to instagram so we're not stubborn, and I think being an entrepreneur, you can't afford to be stubborn. You go where the numbers take you. You don't go where your mind takes you or where you, have, you feel like you need to or because I've always done X, I'm going to stick with X. That's the biggest downfall with people. Or I intended to start with A, so I'm going to stick with A. So we, kind of, we, go, we go where the market moves, and that's the same with our platforms as it is with our products. That's another great business lesson, which is to make sure that you don't get personal about the market. You must always move with it, right? And everybody in business needs to understand that just because they've done something the same way for a number of years doesn't mean that it will always be like that. And uh, you know, like you just said, the ones that don't work are the ones that stick to how it was always done. Um, You know, you must always innovate, you must always move, but always remember that it's not personal, right? Yeah, exactly. And and that also extends to the type of content, etc. So, for instance, I might, if I had a preference to put up X type of content, because I personally think that looks good, I'm always the first to say, actually, let's not treat it as what I like. We've got three options, A, B and C. I don't care if it's something I like or not. Mm -hmm. If A is performing better, and or based on analytics, we go with A, irrespective of what my personal opinion is. Yep. And I think you look at it like that and with objectivity, especially with a business which I own with five people in total, objectivity is the thing that keeps arguments at bay as well. So it's not about your own personal opinion. It is to get the ideas off the floor, and we'll give everyone's idea a chance, A, B, C, D. Whichever works best, it's not a criticism on the others, mm-hmm. that's what we go with. And sometimes you think you know your marketplace and you think you know your business, but actually... When you look at how people are engaging with types of adverts and how many conversions and click throughs you're getting, sometimes you're not always right. And that's, you've, got to, you've got to be the first to put your hand up and say, actually, do you know what, fair cop, we're going with C or we're going with D when I thought A was the best. 
And it's exactly, about- yeah. I mean, analyzing it. So the an- analytics don't lie. The numbers don't oh, lie. Exactly. It's such an important lesson in business. You know, if your profits aren't there, your margins aren't there, they're never going to be there unless you do something different. If an ad isn't performing or whatever it is. So you must always make sure that you use these as signs of what's to come or what not to do or what to do differently. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. All right. So while we're on the subject of Instagram, um, I want to know what you think about Instagram. I've looked through yours um, and you are quite clearly, um, you know, in, in the Instagram lifestyle. You look good. Um, you know, you're out there. You've got all of your banging cars, your motors and all of that type of stuff where if I looked at you from the outset, I'd be like, this geezer is smashing it. This geezer's living the lifestyle. This geezer's a baller. Um, you know, so this is what it looks like to us. But it's funny that when we had a conversation earlier, you said something um, about, you know, how you wanted to position that. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, no, definitely. So my Instagram from the outside, like I enjoy, uh, I, I get up in the morning to enjoy the things that I aspire to achieve. And if I can achieve something, get to my landmarks and buy the cars, that's a hobby of mine. It's something that makes working hard worth it for me. Mm-hmm. So that's how I enjoy myself. Um, and I portray myself on Instagram and my posts are cars, mainly cars, some of them are physique stuff, but I follow what gets engagement. So I'm trying to grow that as a platform. If I grow that as a platform, it can only help my adventures with more exposure. So I've soon realized that certain types of posts with aspirational things I putting on my cars, it's not boasting, it's me following what works on there. So it's a tactical game, okay? My life though, however, isn't just driving cars around quite clearly. The irony is I probably get to use a car once a month if I'm lucky. I commute on a fairly uh, run-down push bike. And I'm very keen to push that kind of level of reality and not lose sight or let people come in and see a false perception. So look at it from the outside of the photos. Cool, they're all nice. and Nice cars, nice clothes and stuff. And that's not a lie. That's me. That's what, I, that's what I like. But I make sure that my stories, which is the other function on there, is an up-to-date, real-life, real-time version of who I am and what my real life entails. So from the moment I wake up at whatever time it is in the morning, it might be half five, it might be half six, I get on a push bike, I ride my 12 miles. Like today, for instance, I've got up half six, I've ridden 12 miles to my office, got a few bits sorted there, back on the road, I'm working uh, at prison as well, I'm doing some great stuff with young offenders in there, um, and, and really changing people's lives in there. So I'll ride there, then I come back, I'll do this, then I'm back on the road again to another meeting up in Wembley. So I want people to see that it's not glitz and glamour, I'm not, money's not growing on trees for me. And this is a reality of it. So my day yesterday was 32 miles on a bike in an 18 hour working day. Mm. So that's not a hard luck story. That's what I choose to do. And I know that if I don't do that, I won't get to what I want to do. I'll be honest, James. I think your Instagram does portray, does portray both. I mean, I looked on your Instagram today and I was flying through and I was like, you know what, this guy is doing very, very well. And I don't think there's anything wrong with showing success in that way. I think you must do that because people need to see the fruits of their labor. It's like, if you're going to do all of what you are telling me you're doing, you need to be rewarded because you wouldn't be doing it otherwise. So there's nothing to be embarrassed about or you shouldn't shy away from the the success and the beautiful things. But I also said to you as well from your story, which is what I like because it counteracts and shows the reality of what you're saying is I knew that you'd taken this interview, which was fantastic. But you're also, you know, we're out late last night. You've done a 12 mile bike ride this morning. You're going from meeting to meeting. So people need to understand that crazy journey behind the scenes, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, 
also, I mean, from a platform, let's, let's both be honest, you're an entrepreneur, you, haven't, you wouldn't be inspired by seeing someone putting up photos of them in a sweaty mess wearing a tracksuit with a battered bike. That's yeah, not black. Exactly and I don't want to depress people, I want to motivate them. So like you said, it's about towing the line and letting people into your life. I don't document my family life and I don't document stuff that's close to me in that sense because mm. I'm, I think for me, that's kind of irrelevant. It's more my, my journey and what I'm trying to help people with is, is how I've got to where I am. I've not reached anywhere near where I can get to as well. And my life isn't, I work seven day week. So come in, see what it takes. If that's for you, follow my journey. Let's get involved. I hope you as much as I can. If it's not for you, go and do your nine five. Yeah, love it. Fantastic. Good. So let's touch on um, what you said about earlier um, between putting different ads out and having the co-founders because I quite like this one. I had a business partner um, and I've had a couple of business partners across the board now that have worked and haven't worked. So let's explore that for people that want to go into business with their friends. And if it's all rosy at the beginning, what happens yeah. when you start to build wealth? Because when greed and money come in, they can change the game substantially. How you've managed to manage that relationship? Have you um, had big rows? Have you all stayed quite amicable? Are you all still on board with each other? And what's that experience like for you? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I mean, I obviously I own a company with my twin brother, so I've got a family member in there, which is uh, which is interesting. And then I've got the other two co-founders who who used to be close friends of mine. I used to train with. Um, Listen, no, no one's going to, especially out of my group of people, no one's going to sit there and say, oh, everyone's great mates, because it's six years down the line. Business is stressful. Long hours are stressful. It takes its toll on your family, your social, your relationships, and that all pans out. So it's not glamour. You've got to think carefully who you go in with, because if you're not fundamentally aligned from a, from a work ethic point of view, and that's what I would say is the first and foremost, if you don't both accept the same level of responsibility or have the same passion, if I said to you, for instance, are you happy earning 40K a year? Yeah? And you're my business partner. If you said, yeah, no, no, as long as I can get by, as long as I can pay the mortgage and you know, all the bits and bobs, that's me, I'm fine. Then you're not the same mentality as me. Fundamentally, yeah. when I try and drive that to a silly level, you're not on board. So that's not working. So yeah. you have to, I think from the beginning, it's quite important to, and I think a lot of people, because it evolves in a way they never envisage, they don't have that conversation or that realization at the beginning. If you've got the luxury that you're starting something new, and you're not in deep already, or it doesn't suddenly take off, then you need to work out, is that person fundamentally, is the sky the limit for them? Or are they someone that's happy to accept somewhere way before that? If it's the latter and you're not there, I think you need to think diversifying or coming, get, get someone else on board. And that would be my advice. Um, and also, like you say, money, people, money changes people. People change. Yeah. So let's jump in on that one where you say at the beginning. So it's about setting the expectations. So we just explore it. Setting the expectation with your potential business partners. So understanding where they want to be in 10 years, if they're prepared to put in the same effort as you. Um, having a different skill set. So you don't want two Jameses. You want a James and a, a you know, sometimes you want a salesman and a front man. And then if you're a partnership, then you want a back office detailed process man. Um, yep. If you're all the same person, it becomes very difficult because a lot of the stuff doesn't get done. Um, and my bit of advice would be don't just go into um, a partnership for money. Right? I went into partnership with Lord Sugar because of the, bit of the show and everything else. So it was sort of a process that I, went, I had to go into. But for me, it was all about the money. And I thought that having a billionaire as a business partner meant that he knew everything about every business. And it's quite clear that people don't. And 
You know, it's very important. If you're going to get an investor on board, I know we're, we're spreading slightly away from it, but if you get an investor on board, get one that is in tune with your industry. And once again, yeah, yeah. has the same drive, passion, and wants the same end goal for the business. It's very, very important. Um, and make sure you've got a watertight contract from day one with yeah, a solid yeah. shareholders agreement. Because if yeah. shit hits the fan, and a lot of these things do, um, at least you're protected from day one. So don't enter into it, enter into it without getting all of your legals right. And I mean, that's, you know, you're yeah. going to know that first Yeah, time. 100%. And, and even if you are mates, then even more reason just to protect yourself. And if you're mates, then you think it's never going to happen to you, then there's no issue signing something. So Love it. Awesome. Okay. So what's your favorite social media platform personally? Is it Instagram as well? Yeah, it is Instagram now just because... It becomes a bugbear having to update everything. So I've moved away from Snapchat. There's only so many hours in a day I can, mm -hmm. I can be on those platforms. Uh, I'd, I'd love for there just to be one hub. Life would be so easy if there's just one thing to update each day. Mm -hmm. um, I do like Twitter because a lot of our original loyal fan base started on there. That's how they know us. And therefore, I'm, you know, I'm perfectly in tune with that and like to keep on board with that. And you know, let's face it, it's the guys that followed us from day one that are you know, just as important, if not more important than anyone else. And they, they've shown us that loyalty and that respect, which is, which is key. And they, they've been integral in spreading the word about who we are and you know, really enjoying the successes of what we've achieved and, and helping them along the way. So um, Instagram at the moment, I seem, seems to be, from a tactical point of view, the most important to invest in for us and in terms of getting things out. You think um, that's still got huge growth for what it's achieving at the moment? Yeah, it's still going to yeah. go a hell of a long way. What's your thoughts on IGTV? Have you done anything with that? I haven't done it. I've stepped back from that. Um, I know some of the YouTubers, my brother's involved with YouTube, well, they've, had, they've dabbled, they've looked at it. Uh, personally, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the need or the function. I show snippets of my life. Yeah. So in depth. I can't take my phone into prisons and stuff where I work anyway. So I like to show snippets. I don't want to yeah. bore people to death about it. So they just get little and simple and up, up to date like snippets of my life. So I, I haven't delved into these long, deep, meaningful videos yet. And, uh, at the moment, unless I'm asked to speak on a topic, for instance, uh, I don't think I don't think I'll use it. It's a little bit laborious. So a little bit too long. So you like to keep the snippets out and then show the yeah, lifestyle cool. on the yeah. timeline. Awesome, yeah. good. Right. What I want to do next um, is I want to ask you two questions, and I want you to be as brutally honest with me as you feel comfortable um, with. So number one, and I, I, we like to keep it really, really real. So what has been your worst moment? in your entrepreneurial journey? How did you feel? Um, were you going to bail? And how did you overcome it? I, I guess it's just group, group arguments in terms of, um, I can't think of one specifically, but when, when you go through periods, I guess, I'll tell you what, when sales are low, mm -hmm. obviously we're entrepreneurs. That's our bread and butter. If you don't have it's bread and butter, time. <laughs> so, so it, becomes a, it becomes a scrum and everyone looks to blame each other. And when there's five of you, that's a slanging match. When you've got family involved, I've got, it's my twin brother. So whereas you might work in an environment which is an office space and we're all under a nice umbrella, we're employed, and if we swear at each other, and boot to each other, that's not accepting you're booted out. Mm. If my brother wants to tell me to do one in a, in a lot worse way or vice versa, you can, you can come to blows over these things, for goodness sake, because yeah. there's no rules. It's your thing. You're four of you in a room or five in a room and we don't have you know, an HR department. It's my brother. Who am I going to complain to? My mum? Like, come on. I'm <laughs> So being brutally honest, you get to the point where, yeah, there are no rules or there's no, there's no infrastructure in place in a way that there is in a conventional job. So that makes it harder. When you fall out with family, it makes it double as hard because there's an emotional bond there as well as a business bond. So brutally honest, 
yeah, the big frictions, the big flare-ups. And I'll be honest, they're always over something so trivial. Mm. And I guess it all boils down to the fact that everyone's passionate and they want their view heard. So it comes from a good place. And it's about trying to divorce yourself from personal family connection and business. Yeah. Objectivity every single time. And I try to, what I try to do is I become a bit of an arbitrator, I guess, within the company. Stay objective on anything. So it's like, okay, I listen to that, listen to that, listen to that. Does it make money? Or does it save time? Yeah? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, I don't want to hear it. I haven't got time for it. Yeah. Simple. And that normally settles it. And, and we just follow the figures. And once you get it back down to that, you stray away from the FU, the, 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 the kind of malarkey, and you get back down to business. Have so you ever been is, to the point where you wanted to jack? Has it been that bad? I'll be honest. The last thing I would ever do on my badger, I'd be dead on, I'd be on my bed mm-hmm. dead before I quit. Have you ever felt, I mean, the difference between carrying on, because the attitude, you don't, you've always will carry on, because I can tell that's who you are, but have you ever gone, you know what, this is just too much. Like, I could just uh, go back, or has it never been that bad for you? Because I've invested so much in it, I've never, if, if I jacked it in, I'd be so annoyed that I'd wasted so much time. That's yep. my last resort. Like, so I haven't ever come to that point, because I've invested five years of my life in it. I've given up a professional career, so... If I did that, that'd be the end of me. I, I, what would I do? So um, I haven't come to that stage, and I guess it's that's part of a coping mechanism. I guess so. If you, if you can try so it's do or die. It never crosses your mind. It's like oh, we're no. in it now. This is it to the end. You know, that's whatever it. happens, we make yeah. this successful. Hundred percent. Love it. Okay, awesome. So to counteract that question, then is what is the best moment that you've ever had? You know, when you've gone, wow, today I've done all right. Today was why I started. Today. Um, has been, been very, very special. What moment was that for you? There's a, there's a number of different kind of along the journey. Milestones in terms of followers, which sounds pathetic, but it's a bit of a surreal feeling to get up to the big, bigger numbers and followings. That's, a nice That's important. No, tell us how that feels because this is the social world. We want to know. It's like seeing like, numbers rack up. What was your big number where you went, whoa. I'll tell you what, it's 10,000. When we hit 10,000, because it was within a few months, it was pretty quick at the beginning. I was like, sugar, that is... Sounds like nothing now. People have got millions and millions of followers, but we're still relatively small following wise. But it's also the engagement of our following and the kind of like the journey of people and the fact that we get transformation stories. We get a lot of emails and a lot of in depth life kind of stories of people that we can't share because it's too intimate and they don't want it published. But where people have had, they might have gone through something not health wise, but a divorce or something and they've been extremely low. They've come on board, they've joined the community, they feel confident again, they're back out doing what they wanted to do. So those kind of things, a nice backdrop kind of, yeah, I feel good about myself. But it's not a money thing, actually. In terms of getting up in the morning, those kind of stories are actually just as compelling. And I guess in recent times, uh, I've, I've gone into the prison service, like I spoke about a little bit. And yesterday, I had our first ever young offender who's qualified as a personal trainer. He's now been released. That's the first young offender. And, and, and for me, um, we're knocking on the door of one of the biggest gyms in London at the moment, fingers crossed, trying to get, some, get him in the door to work there. For me, that's, I didn't sleep until two in the morning. I was that buzzing. I just kind of, for me to give back to other people and feel and that I, because I've got a reputation behind my company, I can use that not just for financial gain, but to genuinely take someone out of a gang, take someone out of an environment that a lot of these people that listen to this podcast luckily haven't had to be involved in or don't understand necessarily. And to change that person's life and see that smile on someone's face and that sort of overwhelming emotion, for me, that's job satisfaction to the hill. That's, massive that's respect, massive respect yeah. for that. You know, I'm a, I'm a big supporter in helping out young people and people that are underachieving and, you know, to go in and do that is fantastic. So what are you doing there? Do you give them 
um, courses on in, uh, how to become. Yeah, yes, yeah, so I'm working in um, HMB Felton both as a mentor, so taking them from a bit like yourself. Listen, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not a prison officer, so it's not an us and you kind of thing. I've achieved something out of nothing. Uh, when I was younger, I wasn't the most well-behaved. I had blips and blobs with the law as well. So I've gone down a criminal back, background in terms of like my law degree, and now I've come and built something that started with 50 quid. Well, every one of the guys I work with can get 50 quid together. So there's no barriers to entry. There's no judgment there. And we, we can all kind of channel in our energies to help other people. So, um, yeah, and when they get released, I'm mentoring them on the outside and give, giving my time to them to, to get the structure, to support them, to get funding when they need it. And, um, and sort of try and change their lives for the, the right. Mate, that's very, very commendable. Um, respect for that, respect. Um, listen, right, so I wanna jump into some questions now that we've taken from the audience. I've got five of them for you. Um, and I've been given these, um, and I had a little read before, but I'm gonna run with them. So yeah, number one, we've got Dan. He says, how many hours should you work out a day? Work out as in gym workout or work, out, work in your business, gym? Uh, yeah, workout gym, I presume. Yeah, workout in the gym. Dan, I've got good news for you. Knock off the S on the word hours. I've never in there longer than 40 minutes, mate, maximum. So uh, relentless hours and there's time wasted, if I'm 100% honest. 35 to 40 minutes, if you're following the right plan, that's ample. A lunch break. You can work it around the normal life. Awesome. Listen, I'm a busy guy, but I'll find 30 minutes a day. And if you can't, something's got to give. So you haven't got to bang it every single day and do you have to do it seven days a week or? Oh, no, no, no. Depends where you are. Um, I'm not going to bore you with science and stuff, but if you're a beginner, you've got a beauty because you get away with two to three sessions a week. As you become more advanced or you've been going for a longer period of time, you need to up that so that your body continually makes progress. So two to three comes three to four, three to four, five, six maximum if you really want to get there. I'm at a stage now where, although it's a bit of a chore, it's a stress relief for me. So if I don't get my half an hour in a day, I kind of feel like, no, I want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. now as well. It's in your DNA now, right? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm not going to lie. Some of it's a chore. I sometimes think, sugar, I've got to go because if I look awful, I'm, I'm, I'm selling, well, I'm not selling the right thing. You're business. Good. So it's yeah. an as well, which is good, but it's a coping mechanism. I like it. It's a stress relief. Put your headphones in. Nothing else matters for half an hour. Get it out of your system and you'll never feel worse for it. Good. Laura says, how often do you have a cheat day? Ah, good question. Well, what we've kind of done with the way in which we kind of educate people, you can eat anything you want, okay? So a McDonald's, for instance, or whatever it is you like, doesn't make you fat. If I gave you, Joseph, one cheeseburger a day, you won't get fat. Because a cheeseburger doesn't make you fat, but 10 cheeseburgers a day will. So we don't kind of encourage people to have a whole day where they just eat whatever they want. Yep. We show them how to include those things daily. They can have it seven days a week if they wanted, into their diet. And so long as it's done in the right way and the calories match, et cetera, which is actually quite simple, it's cool. Everything's fine. You're not going to put on weight. They'll actually lose weight. Um, so, so yeah, those big blowout cheat days, you end up feeling awful. Then the next day you starve yourself and do loads of exercise and you feel bad. Then you binge again because you're starving. So we try and get people out of that cycle. All right, fantastic. Um, Sarah, we seem to have lots of girls on here. So Sarah's saying, do you do private PTs? <laughs> do you do private PT sessions? PT sessions? Do you do private ones? I do. I do do PT sessions. Yeah, I do. Um, I kind of, from a business side of things and, and a commercial perspective, um, because we run it under the London Muscle Umbrella, I can't, if I do eight hours personal training a day, I've got to split that with the company because the company do that. So as a scalable model, there's only a certain amount of hours per day. So the digital side of things from a business perspective is more lucrative for us. I still yeah. have a select number of clients and I still do take on new clients, but I don't have 
eight hours a day for you to do it. So I do do it, but um, yeah, people contact me. Limited, like, limited. Okay, that. awesome. Right, we've got a guy on. Ben says, what's your favorite car? He's seen your Instagram and he wants to know which uh, one's your favorite car. car. Good question. Uh, this is going to sound a bit mundane, but uh, a Porsche 911 Turbo S at the moment. Porsche 911 Turbo S, nice. Good are. choice. Good choice. And then finally, this is more of a statement um, than a question. Rebecca says you can stretch her hamstrings anytime. Um, thanks for putting oh, that one on. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Okay, James. Um, so finally, what I want to ask you is what is a social entrepreneur to you? What does that word mean or those two words mean? It's a, it's a person that's discovered a USP, something that's unique and a, and a gap in the market. They've marketed it in a way that everyone understands what it is that stands them out from the rest of the competition. And it's someone that's willing to invest the time and has the patience and determination to make that succeed. And a lot of people don't have that. Competitors will come in, they'll copy you. But if they don't have the same against you, that's it, they're gone because they're going to give up before they, you know, if they don't make money in two weeks, they're gone. Perfect. Boom. Love it. Right, James, where can people check you out? Where can they find you? Okay, so you can look up London Muscle. It's LDN underscore muscle on Instagram and the same on Twitter. So that's my business uh, along with the other four gents. And you can find me personally at JE underscore LDNM as well on Instagram as well. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Keep up the good work, bro. Um, I want to keep seeing you climb. All right? Love Take care, man. Fun, All, the All the best. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Social Entrepreneur Podcast. Please continue to download, share with your friends, but most importantly, let me give something back. Come on over and join our international Facebook community. It's JV Social Entrepreneur. Go there, find it, search it. We'd love for you to leave a review and we'd love for you to follow our social media for more updates and for more insights. That's at Mr. Joseph Valente. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Let's get it. Let's grow.